Hey everyone, Wes here, Director of Central Canada for Apologetics Canada. We're currently in the middle of our year-end giving campaign. In 2021 alone, I personally had the privilege to share with students at 11 university and college campuses, along with speaking at a number of churches and even the opportunity to share about Jesus and the good news of the gospel at an interfaith dialogue in a mosque here in Ontario. Did you know that over this last year, the AC team spoke at over 90 different events across Canada? This work is made possible because of generous gifts from people just like you. So far, we have raised just over $64,000 of our total goal of $200,000. Your giving to AC allows us to do these sorts of engagements, helping us give reasons for hope in Jesus. Find out more and how you can partner with us financially by going to apologeticscanada.com slash donate. Now back to the podcast. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the AC Podcast. Troy is letting me intro this edition, which I I appreciate. Thanks, Troy. Just this once. (laughs) (laughs) Wesley Huff's on the line with us all the way from Toronto. Good to have you from the center of the universe. You betcha. Wes, I have, a, I have a real quick question, because this has kind of been debated in the prairies for years. I have a real it, quick answer. Oh, wow. Okay. Is it, is, it, is it Toronto, Toronto, or Tirana? That's, a, that's an interesting question. I've, I actually think recently there's like a generational gap of the difference pronunciation. Because it used to be that if you said Tirana, you were from yeah. Tirana. Tirana. Maybe I'm a foreigner. I pronounce the T, <laughs> so I say Toronto. <laughs> But I hear a lot of different pronunciations, to tell you the truth, from here. But yeah, let's go with, I think most people my age say Toronto. Yeah, I They think just don't so. pronounce the T. Toronto, not Trana. I think that that's more like my parents' generation and my grandparents. Everyone I know in the hip-hop culture doesn't even say that. They say the six. Yeah, the six. <laughs> or, it used to be T-Dot. T-Dot, that's I'm right. I'm from the T-Dot O. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. When uh, when I competed in track and field, that was uh, York and U of T would always play that that song as we were entering into facilities from the T. Awesome. Yeah, but a lot of people. Yeah, it's the six here in British Columbia. We don't have nearly as fun pronunciations. No, not at all. Yeah. It's just. But it's who Vancouver? Are your... <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Vancouver. <laughs> who are you, who are your representatives though? Because it was Drake that came up with. The six, wasn't it? Or did he just popularize it? Yeah, he just popularized it. Honestly, over here, it would be Ryan. It'd be Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, that's true. Do do you know what's interesting about that conversation, though? For me, coming from Oregon, Oregonians are hypersensitive to the mispronunciation of the state because it is really incredible. In the United States, how many U.S. citizens do not know how to pronounce Oregon correctly. And so if you want to annoy somebody in Oregon, you pronounce it Oregon. And it, <laughs> like they, they will literally disown you if oh, you pronounce man. it Oregon. It's Oregon. I think I only, I, ever, I only ever knew is because the Oregon Ducks. I used, remember growing up and I loved their, their uniforms. And so that's probably the only reason I ever got it right. <laughs> Guys, I got a question for you as we jump into this topic. That we're going to be getting into in a moment. We're going to be looking at the topic of fear. And I think actually this is kind of a related intro into that topic. 
Black Friday has always had a bit of fear uh, for me. Um, although I, I love shopping on Black Friday, guys. I'm going to be honest with you. But there is a bit of fear in braving the crowds. And you've always, you know, you always see those videos of things getting unruly, which tend to be Walmart. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. It tends to be. <laughs> I have seen people. I've seen videos of people maced trying to get a good deal on socks at Walmart. <laughs> like that's a thing. <laughs> I, like I have, like I don't know, like about you guys, but there are different levels of like shopping. You know, fear on Black Friday. I definitely put Walmart pretty high up there if you're willing to brave the crowds on on black friday but anyway did you guys go shopping and and what percentage be honest what percentage of your christmas shopping is completed oh man i did not go black friday shopping because i still have flashbacks as being a you a kid when best buy had opened and going to a best buy on a black friday has scarred me for life and so <laughs> more often than not more often than not, I avoid Black Friday sales or I was I worked a lot um, in retail. So I'd end up working those days. And so after years of actually working it, I was like, I will never experience this as a shopper. There's no chance. And so Christmas stuff for us, we're actually heading home for Christmas. So we have zero gifts as of right now because we're like, OK, what is going to fit in our suitcase on the way back? So we're going to buy our gifts once we've arrived Uh to the prairies, which is where we're going. Okay, so I can I can appreciate that. Like, there's some strategy there. That that probably it feels a little unsettling though that you're at ground it's, zero. Oh yeah, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 nerve wracking. I mean, our our family tradition, uh, the guys in our family, unless there's something we know we need to buy ahead of time, we actually do all of our Christmas shopping on uh, Christmas Eve. And so it, because more often than not, we know what we want to get. And so we just make a whole fun day of it, go out and eat and that sort of stuff. And, but Black Friday is just, it's just different. <laughs> it's just different. I didn't go shopping on, on Black Friday either. I, I, are you, had, a, some, are you a Cyber Monday guy? I, I, I perused on Cyber Monday. I popped on Amazon on Cyber Monday to look. Yeah, at, there was much perusing. At what, I, at what I could get. To tell you the truth, though, I did get some Black Friday deals earlier in the week. Melissa That's what I, I did, too. Melissa That's and I, I went over. We, we had to, both of our phone plans were outdated and our phones were starting to act up. So we went to go update them. And with both of the, uh, the phone providers that we use, we got Black Friday deals. Um, so they gave us like a loot bag full of stuff when we updated our phones so technically i got black friday deals but i got them on wednesday so i don't know what you call that one of the things that's interesting about that is this has been a transition that's been taking place for years now black friday you know at one point it was actually on friday and then it kept moving, moving, moving until midnight, right? Then now, now it's technically on Thursday, and it keeps keep moving into Thanksgiving. And now, now it's, it's Cyber just, Week. Now it's yeah. Now it's just Black Friday week. Uh, yeah, it'll be a month soon. Just watch. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, and we in Canada Boxing Day, right? That's not a thing in the states, is it, Andy? Here, listen. I got. I'm. I'm a little sensitive about that one, to be honest with you. First of all, no, it's not a thing. Topic. It's not a thing in the U.S., but honestly, I don't even know that Canada actually has any sales. Like, you could call Boxing Day a sale, but does Canada really have sales? No. 
They're trash. I've yeah, seen an, it is. Are, it's garbage. I've seen a number of memes about Black Friday where they have like, like the the Aragorn from Lord of the Rings picture, and he's saying <laughs> yeah. he's saying hold, and it has the price, and they saying hold, and it has the price it says Wednesday and Thursday, and then he says you know charge, and they're running into battle, but the price has been crossed out. But the price is more than the previous two days, and it's been reduced to the price that it was the previous two yeah. days. So it's at, you're not actually getting a deal. You're just getting the appearance of a deal. I thought those memes yep. were pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's true. It's very true. <laughs> well, hey, as we get uh, started here, we want to talk on the subject of navigating fear. We live in a, a culture of fear, and it can be incredibly challenging to know what to do and how to think and what decisions we should be making in the in the midst of all that's going on in our world. And I, I think it's interesting with, you know, before this, you know, new variant that came out and the various news articles that we've been seeing, I was invited to speak to some political leaders on the subject of navigating fear. And it, it was just a reminder to me that fear is something that we are all navigating. And it's interesting to see how governments are navigating fear. And here you've got South Africa that comes out with this new, you know, variant that they've discovered. And to their shock, all the countries, many countries, not all, but many countries have responded immediately in fear and have shut their borders and have particularly closed themselves off to South Africa. And they're pretty choked about it. <laughs> they're pretty they're pretty upset. They're like, hey, listen, we were actually pretty proud of ourselves that we had discovered this variant that's going on before you all, uh, and we've been punished for it. And so it's been interesting to kind of see how the world is responding to this. And as we're discovering that this new variant is, in fact, all over the place, and I'm sure it's it's been circulating for a while, but we'll see as people are, are trying to assess it. And I, I don't blame them. You know, we got to assess these things, but the challenge that not only governments need to be facing it, but we're going to be talking today on the show is how do we navigate the fears that are going on? And it's not just pandemic fears. It, it is all kinds of fears that are going on in the world today. As I'm talking, by the way, I don't know if you can hear it, but there is a huge helicopter going over my house as uh, there is plenty to be afraid of here in British Columbia as we are still in round three of flooding. It feels like I'm in a war zone here. There are so many helicopters that fly overhead. But Right? I mean, this is just one of many things. There's so much to be afraid of. Yeah. Uh, honestly, when I first heard about it, I was like, someone just said, hey, have you heard of Omicron? And I was like, is that a new Transformers movie? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't. Can I see a trailer? They're like, no, it's another variant. I was like, come on! Like, how does how is there another one this time of year? And, and, and like you're saying, with the whole cycle thing, it... it it's no wonder we have so many people that have dedicated their pages to, you know, uh, I, I don't even like the term conspiracy theories anymore because some of it is very true. Um, but the the fact of like the cycle of, oh, you're going to lock us down again for the holidays, kind of like the last two years. Oh, OK. You know, it's just so that cycle of it is is really confusing. It is interesting that UK prime minister addressed that. Uh, where he was like assuring people, listen, this Christmas isn't going to be as terrible as the last couple Christmas. But 
I mean, there's a lot of skepticism with regards to that. Now, before the show, Wes, y- you were mentioning, and I know the Greek nerd in you, it, it just can't help itself, but the name Omicron is with regards to the Greek, but it, but it jumped some Greek letters. Help us out here. What's going on? Yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting because I had actually heard there was a obviously the Delta variant and I'd heard some um, some rumors about a a mu variant. uh, But Omicron is is farther down the Greek alphabet. And so I wondered why why on earth did they just start? Why are we skipping around the Greek alphabet? Why is this our strategy towards this thing? And I actually found a, a press release by the WHO who um, apparently was on purpose. There were particular letters that they were trying to avoid. They were trying to avoid new, which is the Greek letter N, because that sounded too much like new, as in like there's a new variant, um, N- <laughs> N-E-W. Um, so they skipped that one entirely. And the letter she, um, which would look like X-I, they wanted to avoid that one because the... The leader of China, his name is Xi Jinping, and the the first word in his name is XI. And so what I thought was a little bit funny, since we're calling this the South African variant, is they wanted to reduce any stigmatization that the variant could have come from China. So there was there was kind of a strategy, I guess you would call it, to avoid like a stigmatization of a region. Uh, which I don't know if that entirely worked with uh, how countries are approaching South Africa, but YouTubers would have had a field day with that one. <laughs> like the YouTube videos would have been insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, apparently this was all deliberate, but um, yeah, I, I don't know if I appreciate jumping around the Greek alphabet as much as we're doing, but it seems to be what we're doing, so we're gonna go with it. What are your guys's take on what's what's going on right now in culture it it seems as though we are living in the product of our own making for a long time because this is no this is nothing new but for a long time we have created a culture of fear because a culture of fear works in many levels many ways for example a culture of fear can work to persuade you to purchase something, right? If I if I can make you afraid of say car crashes, then if Volvo, you know, comes out having the best safety features, well then I'm more likely to buy a Volvo, for example. Uh, or if I'm afraid of my house catching fire, right? Well then I'm more likely to buy fire insurance. And and it's interesting to me you know, the older you get, there's all sorts of life insurances and long-term disability insurances of all stripes and sizes. And it's interesting because Nancy and I, my wife and I have recently been looking at, at some of these different policies uh, for, um, with regards to Apologetics Canada. And it's just interesting as you're reading the literature or watching the videos and how they sell it to you, again, you're, you're being sold on the basis of fear. And so, I mean, that's just one aspect of the way fear has really shaped us as consumers. But there's a- another way that fear has shaped us politically as well. I mean, it's well known politically that if you want to motivate people, 
that one of the best ways to motivate them, for example, if you want to motivate them for uh, not just policies, but wars or, or the like, that you, you use fear as a motivating factor. And I'm curious, like, do you guys see this as part of the, the challenge that we're in? Not just, not this is, because I would argue this is not just a Canada problem or a U.S. problem. This is clearly a global problem as many nations are responding to this variant in the same in the same way if you take something as simple as the as the fashion or the beauty industry um one of the the major focuses there is self-preservation right like there's uh people have this this fear of losing their youthfulness or looking older or being le- at a very basic level looking less attractive and all those sorts of things. And so things are sold to them all about this, this false idea that if you do this, it'll preserve things. And if you don't, well, you're just going to get old and cracked skin like other people and you'll end up dying alone. The podcast that was done with, with Clay Jones, where he was talking about death. And uh, I can't remember the phrase he used, but it was basically, he was basically saying that there's these different tools we use, all that have to do with self-preservation because it's this fear of no longer uh, no longer mattering after you die. It's no longer carrying value. Even things where we've put our names on buildings or things that, so my name will carry on. Fear is, it's been driving our culture for as long as we've been here. Oh, I think that's a daily message in, in our day, uh, like you're saying, Troy. Uh, for the simple reason that the daily news doesn't get our attention by broadcasting good things. Right. That doesn't get our eyeballs glued to things. And so whether we're talking about politicians who get our support by stoking fear or social media influencers who hold our attention, um, not by painting a balanced picture of possibilities and trade-offs, but by depicting a dystopian nightmare, that's how we get uh, we get pulled into things. And I think we see this in scripture. I mean, how many how many uh reminders are there in scripture to not fear, right? We should not fear for the Lord will help us. That's Isaiah 41. And God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of self-control, 2 Timothy 1.7. And Jesus repeatedly is saying, you know, hey guys, don't be afraid. Um, all throughout the gospels, he's saying that. You, John, 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear. I think this is a, a trend in our culture, but I think as human beings who understand our finality, and understand that we are, uh, we're at risk. We're at risk for, you know, disease. We're at risk for bankruptcy. We're at risk for danger, all sorts of things. That's not necessarily a new thing, although it seems like we have new platforms and new technologies that have capitalized on that and been able to promote that, like you said, Andy, globally, not just in like a local newspaper, but, you know, you pop on Twitter and you can find out what to be afraid of from every continent if you really want to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which I think, so I think what you're saying though, Wes, is, is a good point because on the one hand, there are legitimate fears. There are legitimate things to fear uh, in in life. Um, mm. For example, you, li- you can go bankrupt, right? I mean, and you can get diseases that will kill you. And there are various dangers in, in you know, in both... Uh, societies now and throughout history i mean there there have been and are 
real dangers. And I think that that's when you have the Bible speaking to fear, um, it's speaking to real fears and, and it's seeking to find assurance mm. in those real, those real fears. That's maybe where like defining what we mean by fear is, uh, it might also be helpful. Like there are different categories, right? You have worry, you have concern, there's panic, um, I think what we're referring to when we talk about like fear mongering is capitalizing on those insecurities we have for those other categories and like turning up the dial, turning up that dial to 11 where you're, you're perfectly right, Andy. There are things that happen in this life that it would be at minimum, you know, irresponsible to not at least have a concept on our, our horizon, right? If I don't have a job, I don't make money and I can't provide for my family. There's a there's a healthy fear, uh, if you want to call it that, to be able to do things like provide and live healthy lives and, you know, not be irresponsible, be good citizens. Um, but I think if we if we make that the only note behind all of the tune of our lives, that's where it starts to become a controlling factor. And that's what, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about, like the media, that's what they're really trying to uh, capitalize on. There is a balance to be struck, for sure. Because on the one hand, you don't want to live without fear. I mean, it's interesting, because as a parent, I've had to deal with this with one of my kids. One of my kids is so absent-minded. I love William to death. And he's, he's so much fun to be with, but he's so absent-minded, like sometimes he needs a little bit of fear. And I remember uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, he broke his arm and I wasn't overly mothering, you know, and my wife, of course, as his mother is like, you know, wanting to just love and, and care and that's great and everything. But I was like, Hey, Will, this is what happens <laughs> when you're, yeah. when you're messing around on a rock and you fall backwards like that, you break your arm. And Nancy's like, why aren't you being nicer? And I'm like, well, I mean, at some level, you need to know like that that's how you broke your arm and that you could do worse than breaking your arm. Like, you could die. Uh, so, like, it's kind of like there's this balance. So, like, yes, you need the, the mom on the one hand that's mothering, you know. But on the other hand, I feel like you need the, hey, like, maybe you should be more, <laughs> maybe you should be more careful sort of thing. Yeah. It's essentially what we've been talking about. Andy, with the identity, you know, with the, the series we've been doing and this, th that healthy fear that is actually has more to do with a respect and an honor, right? Like as, as the Bible says, like the fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. I don't think he necessarily wants us to, you know, be cowering behind him. Like, no, I don't, I don't want he, but there is this level of like, I recognize the threat that you are, should I challenge you? And I think that's the same thing. There, there's, there is that healthy fear that says, if I go run off into these waves, they could crush, they could crush me. Or if you go do this, this is exactly what could happen. And I think that's one of the issues we have is the way society has set things up is we've created this space where you can be a thrill seeker and people go after the thrill and it's pushing the boundary of respectful fear that when a tragedy then happens, we it, it's too late. We're pushing people closer and closer to the edge for this euphoric experience. When something does go wrong, we then put the onus on them. Well, they, they should have known. They knew the risks. It's like, well, well, did they? Mm. Like, did they really? 
Because there's some people that operate in life like they're invincible. Yeah, and I, I think it's I think we have an issue in our modern context with calibration. Like calibrating where that fear should be and and what's rational to expect. Even one of the things with um, the what we started talking about with the Omicron variant, uh, when I started seeing the headlines, I went and I watched the like release that the South African doctor gave. And I I was actually kind of confused, to be honest, because the, the doctor who discovered the variant, when she was talking about it, she was talking about the fact that you know, it it may be an unusual variant, but all the symptoms we're seeing are mild. It's not increasing any of the ICU beds that are essential to, you know, f- for the whole pandemic situation. It does, Everybody who has it so far it doesn't seem to be in any type of danger. And so I think it's because the calibration level seems to be off and in some of the ways that these things are are being broadcasted. It's it, it we're reacting more than I think we're we're thinking through some of these things. And that's just one example. I mean, there there are all sorts of examples. And over the last two years, I I've thought continually that I see a lot of people who are afraid. And I wonder if it's because they're worried that the, this life is all they have. I mean, if this life is all you have, in some ways, I, I don't blame you for you know, wearing, I've seen people wear four masks, wearing four masks and, uh, you know, um, uh, basically wearing a hazmat suit at Walmart. Like I've seen some pretty crazy things over the last two years, but if you truly believe that this is all you have and that you're going to miss out on all the experiences and all the things you want to do in life, because this thing could kill you, then yeah, that, that calibration level that's turned up to max. And I think, um, as Christians who don't believe this is all we have, you know, we need to be responsible. We, we don't need yeah, to be, right. uh, I was gonna say that, we yeah. need to make sure that we are, we are not being, um, irresponsible and, and silly and putting other people in danger. That's, that's something we do need to do. Um, but we understand that there's, there's more than just this life and, and that gives us a different, or it should at least at face value should give us a different understanding of how we approach these issues. I think this is a, a really important point, uh, Wes, about this whole this idea of calibration and how are you being calibrated. So on the one hand, I think I think you're right in this idea of fear of death and 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 how that is impacting people. But there's another aspect to this that clearly is going on because there are a lot of Christians that I'm encountering that are afraid. And are afraid in a multiplicity of ways. So, like, to be clear, like, we have we have people that are falling into fear, I would argue, on both sides of the spectrum. You've got people who are afraid to get, like, for example, a vaccine. you got other people who are afraid not to get a vaccine. Here's my, my reason in bringing that up and how people are being influenced by fear on both on both sides. I don't know if you've heard of something called the Cultural Indicators Project, but this is a, a, a project that uh, was a, a major, long-range, comprehensive uh, research investigation on the mental health and behavior of people watching television. Now, these projects, and there was one in particular called the Mean World Syndrome by George Gerbner, 
this this was going back dating all the way back to the 1970s doing this you know this research in which Gerbner, uh, his findings showed that there's this direct correlation between the amount of television one watches and the amount of fear one tends to have about being victimized in everyday life. Now, in the 70s, they didn't have YouTube, right? Now, they just had, you know, these big, bulky televisions and and what was going on. I, I found it interesting that his research uh, showed— and. Uh, and this is kind of like how it cashed out, that if you grow up in a home where there is more than, say, three hours of television per day, for all practical purposes, you live in a meaner world and act accordingly than your next-door neighbor who lives in the same world but watches less television. The programming reinforces the worst fears and, and apprehensions and paranoia of people. And, and so I'm, I'm bringing that up because you can have People on both sides of a spectrum, if we're going to use the vaccinated, unvaccinated as just an example, where you can watch a whole lot of television pushing one side or the other that's going to entrench you in a fear one way or the other. Now, this fear, though, I think it's played out in a multiplicity of ways, not just with vaccines. Right now, there's a lot of fear going on, and it's not just on television, but on YouTube and news medias alike that are pushing all kinds of fears. Right now, there is the fear that if I go shopping, uh, that I might be caught up in looting that's taking place, say, in San Francisco, and that we've all seen lots of news clips of what's going on there. Not to say that that, 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 that isn't happening, that's actually happening, but if that's the only thing you watch over and over again, you're going to be terrified to go to step outside your door to go to go shopping uh, as an example or the the fear of now going to say a parade right after we see somebody driving a car through a parade or we have lots of kids that are afraid to go to school after now we have a, a, just another school shooting that's taking place right and you're constantly watching those things that's going to that's going to reinforce certain types of fears. Now, here's something interesting. I'll end with this. Now, you want to get your guys' thoughts. Gerbner found that by the time that a child was in elementary school, okay, and again, this is the 1970s for YouTube. By the time they're in elementary school, they've seen 8,000 murders on television. And that by the time uh, that they're 18, they have seen over 200,000 violent acts. 200,000 violent acts. Now, that's back in the 70s, like in 80s, right? I mean, before the internet. To think that that's not going to have a psychological impact on you is naive. Of, of yeah. course it is. And these days, it's even more so where you don't even have to go looking for it, but we're becoming more and more, more okay with news agencies posting violent acts on news where, you know, you don't even need to go click on it these days. It'll just automatically generate and you, you're you just becoming more and more, I would argue, desensitized to seeing these sorts of violent acts. Well, and even just backing up while you were speaking, Andy, um, I couldn't help but think of like, there's a risk to reward ratio in everything in life, right? Like there's a certain percentage of a chance that when you get into a car, you could get into a horrific car accident and die. That's a reality. I mean, 
I'm driving around in a, what, a three-ton killing machine? Um, how do we give it? Sometimes I just sit there and wonder, how do we give anybody driver's licenses? Never mind basically right. everybody. A car, um, a three-ton killing machine. Yeah, that's right. A giant metal box that can go 100 kilometers an hour at someone. And and I'm sure we all know people who have been in car accidents and even have passed away in car accidents, and that's horrific. And But we accept that certain reward when we get in our car and we go to some location, right? And I think if we just concentrate on absolutely every possibility, that paralysis of analysis is going to take place. And I think that's kind of what all of these things take advantage of, that it could happen, that, you know— just because the percentage is low, you know, don't don't worry about that because, you know, look at how many people are dying of this thing or that thing or the other thing. And that's not to say we shouldn't be worried, right? Wear your seatbelt. <laughs> Make sure your car is working. Make sure your brakes are working. But that's the point, though, that I'm getting at is that it's challenging, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, like, let me throw this into your mix there with what you're saying, Wesley, because I think I think you're right. But this is the challenge. So say take a firefighter, for example, or a police officer or a doctor. Are they not going to have a harder time doing an accurate calibration? Because, I mean, that mean world syndrome, I know a lot of police officers who struggle with the mean world syndrome because they're dealing with mean people all the time. Yeah, right. Or if you take a doctor who's dealing with people dying of COVID all the time, that is going to impact you versus somebody who's not Mm -hmm. witnessing anybody die of COVID. Because we— we have friends that are doctors that are dealing with that, and 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 I've heard them talk with me about this. Like this is this is not easy, and I have friends who are firefighters. It's challenging as you're trying to, it, especially when you're in the thick of it. So I mean, I what I'm trying to I guess shoot at is there's this balancing act between the one person who doesn't deal with criminals at all versus the person who's dealing with criminals every day, right? And and how do we make that calibration? Yeah, our context is definitely important. In regard to that, yeah. if you're constantly seeing people be murdered as a police officer, that's going to affect the way that you look at the world. Like it just it just is. Or if you're a doctor and you're in an intensive care unit and you're constantly seeing people coming in with COVID and you're treating people who are on their deathbed, like that is going to impact the way that you see the pandemic or whether it's a clear picture on reality or not. And it's important to have those voices because they can help us who are coming from a different perspective calibrate a little bit, right? I think all of these voices are are clear in the mix. Well, I was thinking, just backing up in terms of like, as believers, as Christians who worry, I couldn't help but think that Christians who worry believe, you know, we believe God can redeem us. We believe we he can break the shackles of Satan, take them from hell to heaven, put them into his kingdom, give them eternal life. But just sometimes, and I know my wife is going to listen to this and be like, Wes, you worry all the time about so many things. So I'm, 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 this is pointed directly at me. I'm a terrible worrier. But sometimes I wonder if, if by all that worry, we believe that God can do all those things, but he can't, he can't get us through the next couple of days. Mm. You know, I think there's an aspect of confessing certain truths about God that we believe but maybe with the things that we're struggling with, with our anxiety, with our worry, with our stress, and there are varying levels of degrees of that even, but whether I myself as someone who can be an anxious person uh, am affecting the truths that I proclaim about God by the ways that I 
I act or the things that I listen to or the constant media that I'm exposed to. I think I personally need to be careful of that. This whole talk has, has brought me to like one of my favorite passages, like Psalm 34. Um, it, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. I've gotten into conversations with even family members and borderline arguments because in the midst of everything going on, this has been my passage. Like this has been like, I will magnify the Lord. Why? Because I can't, I, I don't know everything that's going on. Was it man-made? Was it, was it from a bat? I don't actually know, you know, like, even if I did know, like, even if I found out any of these things to be true, would it give me any more peace? Would it? rid me of my fear? Probably not. Because then the next question is, oh shoot, now what do I do? Now what are we supposed to do? And I think as believers, like, like you're, you were saying, Wes, is we can naturally get into this wrestle of, you know, okay, God, thank you for getting me through that. But we forget there is a nearness to God that we need to constantly pursuing. And that is the only way we can, we can truly magnify him because then it makes all of the struggles and challenges minuscule like we forget like these things have to come to pass i think this is a this is an, an important point because i want to throw a little bit of a hole in this you know mean world syndrome as we you know as you're pointing us to the bible troy and that is when we think about mean world syndrome and those sorts of things when we're talking about how much media how much internet or tv can influence us and and what the violence that that's going on people in the past witnessed violence as well but they didn't witness it on the television. They witnessed it in real life, in their yeah. face, all the time. I mean, I yeah. think about the New Testament as, a, as an example. You would have seen people crucified on the streets and at city gates. That would have been commonplace. Uh, mm -hmm. even, even not that many years ago where public hangings would have taken place. And, and I've been to places in Europe that they're like, hey, this is— you know, right outside the pub, this is where they hung people, right? Like you, you could, you witnessed those sorts of things. I mean, and they were done publicly for a reason to mm -hmm. instill fear. So, so a culture of fear, in other words, isn't a new thing. This is something that humans have been struggling with from the beginning. And it's because we do take our, our, our sight off of the Lord and we put it onto everything else. We live in a broken world and it's easy to get fixated onto those things. And there's people who want us to be fixated onto those things because people are easier to control in those, in those ways. You know, if we're going to be pulling out Bible verses, I might as well pull out one of my favorites, Troy. Uh, Swing! <laughs> which I, I love the Apostle Paul because Paul is constantly making this calibration of how he's going to live and what kind of fear is going to control him. But he's always putting it through the equation of ministry and doing the Lord's work. And I, and I love in Romans chapter 8, Paul, he says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And this is something he says elsewhere. I love this. This is the verse, verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither heights nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I love how Paul takes it and he spins it positively. You know, yeah. There is somebody you should be afraid of, but that one that you should be afraid of, that one loves you so much that there's nothing that's going to stop that God from loving you, mm-hmm. from that Savior from saving you. And that's where Paul just continues to point his focus as he's living through the midst of incredible persecution and challenges and threats and fears. I think it's probably a good place for us to wrap up on as we've just uh, gone into the Advent season. Sunday was the the start of Advent, and uh, the Advent word is hope. That is the message of the Bible. It's a message of hope in the midst of lots of things to be afraid of, that we are celebrating the coming of a Savior, that nothing will stop from saving you, and that you have nothing to fear in Him. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada. Make sure you like and subscribe and interact with us on social media. We are in the middle of our giving campaign as well as our Advent story. So make sure that you are tuning into our more recent postings so that you know where to give. And you can also watch the next episode that will be coming out this Friday. If you have any more questions, anything that you you need more information on, please send us an email at info at apologeticscanada.com and we will get back to you at our earliest convenience. As always, love God, love people. Bye for now.